Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I think if I had a six pack at 22, I never would have done Remember the Titans. I would have been happier in school. And, you know, who knows what my life would be like now. Because it, acting was escaping who I was. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Trisha Cunningham wrote, the individual who says it is not possible should move out of the way of those doing it. And Oprah Winfrey said, turn your wounds into wisdom. My guest today has dealt with psychological and physical wounds for most of his life and shares with me everything he has learned about the pain of being overweight and the wisdom from losing over 250 pounds twice, two different times he did this. Actor Ethan Suplee has starred in movies and TV shows like Remember the Titans, My Name is Earl, American History X, and over 40 other titles, and just recently launched a podcast called American Glutton. Ethan really opened up in this interview and was willing to take a deep dive into his past to dissect some of the most crucial moments in his childhood acting career and health journey so he could share with us the knowledge that he's gained along the way. Some of the questions I asked him were, What are the easiest diets to stick to from his process? Also, how did Ethan get into acting while dealing with all of his insecurities of being overweight? What does Ethan's acting process look like, and how does he tap into characters so easily? What was worse, the mental or physical pain of being overweight? And what advice does he have for parents that want to communicate with their kids about food and living a healthy lifestyle. Some of the things you're going to learn are the psychological effects of being overweight at a young age. The pivotal moment for Ethan when he knew he needed to change his life. When Ethan developed an unhealthy relationship with his food and what that was like. How his acting career started as a distraction from his weight and so much more. Also, he shares at the end the lessons Ethan learned about Leonardo DiCaprio's work ethic that will blow you away. Make sure to share this with someone who needs to hear it. You have the power to change someone's life and inspire someone today by sending them this link, lewishouse.com slash 1025, or just copy and pasting the link where you're listening to this on any podcast app. And make sure to click the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts right now if you're listening and you're not subscribed, and leave us a rating and review. By doing that action, it'll really help us inspire more people. So click that subscribe button and leave a rating or review as you're listening. Okay, after this quick message, the one and only Ethan Suplee. Welcome back, everyone, in the School of Greatness podcast. We've got my man, Ethan Suplee, in the house, brother. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. I went on your show probably a month and a half, two months ago. And for those who don't know, if you ever go on... Ethan's show, you're sitting in a sweat box. We were, I, would, I watched the video and I'm dripping. 
But you know what? Here's yes, hundred percent. Yes, I probably lost about five pounds. I started having to do all the social media pictures before. That's smart because I would be like as though I just worked out. Giant sweat stains. I don't know what happens because right now I feel a nice cool breeze. We got the AC on, and we're recording, so it's not a conflict. But somehow in that studio. When you hit record, the AC shuts off. Yeah. And then you and I generate so much heat. So much. The conversation was so deep. That's what it is. It, it's it was like not this. my size that did it. You know, it's just our like yeah, internal man. magnetism. <laughs> I know, but I looked at the clip like, man, I was dripping. But you have sweat probably a thousand times more than me in your life so because much. you've you've lost over a thousand pounds in the last decade or two, right? You've gained and lost. Listen, that quote. I probably said it, but I am so, I lean towards hyperbole yeah, a lot. Yeah, and so I think that's probably exaggerated. I've never sat down and gone like, well, I gained 200 pounds in this stretch, but then I gained back 175 and then I lost and then I gained back. I haven't done that right. from my heaviest to now. What was your heaviest ever that you could scale? Okay. Here's the thing. It gets tricky because I know I gained weight. But the heaviest I've ever objectively seen was there was a shipping scale that people had me get on because I didn't, regular scales didn't work for me. And what's a normal scale go up to? 300, 400? Maybe 400 now. I mean, when I was a kid, it was really like, I think, 250. Like I was, I blew past the regular doctor's office scale a long time ago. Now you get a scale in your house that goes above 300, Mm -hmm. no problem. That, That happened later. As a kid, I got on a scale, a shipping container scale, and it said 536. And then I know I gained weight. I do, so I don't know exactly what I was. I would guess over 550, but I say 550 because it's 14 pounds right. above what I know for sure, sure, sure I was. And today I'm 250, so it's yeah. at least 286 pounds Crazy, from there to now. It takes discipline to gain that much weight and discipline to lose that much weight. I agree. And, and you did this all while being in like 30, I think you've been in about 30, 40 movies since I, you were younger. A lot, yeah. A lot of big movies you've been in. Uh, remember the Titans is one we were just talking about. You said it was a massive premiere. You also say you don't watch your own movies back Never. after you act. So you've been in all these movies with huge names and you don't watch the movies yourself. Yeah. You've gained and lost weight over the last 30 plus years. Um, how, I mean, what is harder to do, gain the weight or lose the weight? Because it's hard to put on 200 plus pounds of a normal frame that you might have, right? I think that's the way I try to think of it now, that it, that it requires effort to gain weight. But really, for the most part, while gaining weight to that extent, it's a, it's a very mindless, you almost think of it in terms of like a depression kind of washes over. You're not thinking about the effort that it, requires to find the calories, to consume the calories, to be inert enough to not use the calories. So so there is effort. When I break it apart analytically and I try to go like, how much effort and discomfort did I experience while gaining weight and from being overweight versus losing weight and Mm. being at a less weight, the effort is much greater, but it's done in a, a mindless way. It's easy to pick up a 32-ounce Coke and drink it all day as opposed to be disciplined and working out and eating the correct things that help you lose it. 
I like what you're saying, though, because I, I think that's true. Right. It's just a perspective uh -huh. on how you're looking at it. Right. It required a ton of effort. Uh, to gain weight. To gain weight. And then a ton of discomfort also. Like How much pain were you experiencing during that time? Every day, constant pain. Knees, back, um, I've slipped discs just from carrying a lot of weight. I, I, had, I still have ankle problems. I have... Uh, collapsed arches, flat feet, like there's a lot of weird issues that I would not have had had I not carried hundreds of pounds of excess weight for years and years and years. So, you know, and then like psychologically, the idea of like every chair I sat down in, I would have to think about, am I going to break this chair? I got to really ease into it. I would even sometimes like give it a couple shoves. How solid, how sturdy is this? You know what I mean? Um, looking at chairs, am I going to literally fit in that chair? Um, and God forbid somebody else breaks a chair in my presence because I know everybody's going to think, did he have something to do with breaking that chair? Was he sitting there? Do you know what I mean? And these are maybe... Um, ridiculous things to think but they're the thoughts that yeah. occur and then going to sleep sleep apnea was a thing i never was slept well uh so towards the end before i started losing weight i would just fall asleep sitting up because i was never really asleep at night um wow. all of that required effort mm -hmm. to get there to maintain that a lot of effort i think that's the more rational way to consider it yeah when you are sleeping sitting up you know, feet hurting, back hurting, digestion probably not well, you know, whatever, feeling insecure, am I going to break this chair? When you're having those thoughts day after day, week after week, year after year, what keeps you in that place of, well, I'm just going to stay in this place as opposed to wanting to make a psychological or habit change for something better for your own health? What, what keeps you there? Well, this is why... I talked, I said, like, it's a mindless effort because I'm not having those thoughts. I'm not thinking mm. uh, this is an irrational thing to have to do to, chest, to test the, uh, the, the, the strength of a chair. Um, all these aches and pains, I could live without them. They've just slowly built up to the point where they just are life. And so, you know, it'd be different if today I, I went to sleep and woke up with some severe knee issue. And yeah. then I would, everything would be focused on how do I solve this knee issue? This is not ideal. But that's not how it happens. It's like your knees start to ache a little bit. And then it's just like, well, I stood longer today. And then eventually you get to the point where you're actually tearing and damaging stuff. And you're too heavy to get a, a, an outpatient surgery. Really? So you're just living with pain and... Yeah, but it, it it's so gradual that you're not thinking you're not in the enough. terms that you would if you yeah. woke up tomorrow experiencing all of that. It's little by little. Yeah. It's little discomforts that you start to learn to deal with. Yeah. When is the when was the moment for you? Because I'm sure you were probably thinking for a, a long time, like, I should probably lose some weight, right? I should sure. probably start eating healthier. When was the moment that was the make or break moment for you that you said enough is enough or never again, or I got to start this journey the real way. Like I'm going all in. When was that moment? There was a, a period in 2002. I, I, I had fallen in love with this girl when I was 16 and we were really, really good friends. She says we were best friends and she had zero interest in me 
uh, romantically. You were in the friend zone. I was in the friend zone. Yeah. Fine. Um, 16 years old. 16 years old. How, uh, what was your he- weight like then? I was heavy, but I wasn't quite like a, as heavy like as 200, 250, 300. You know, I wasn't, even then, it's like I wasn't getting on scales often. Right. I certainly wasn't 500 pounds. I actually have a picture of us um, from when we were 16 and we were hanging out. And I'm a heavy guy, but I'm not morbidly obese. Yeah. Um, we became romantic in 2002 and, and it, there was just a a moment where I was like, oh, if I'm going to make this work, if, if this really has a shot at longevity, I got to change because she likes to do stuff like take a hike and spend the day at the beach and go to museums. And I can't do that, you know? So that was kind of it it was like how i want i want to have this relationship with her so i must change it was a a bizarre kind of counterintuitive conversation that i had with her too because having it i was scared like if i have this conversation she'll know how that i'm overweight like that i'm obese as as if (laughs) she didn't know as if she didn't know it was like this thing if i show her that this is something i want to change not just like this masculine thing of like I'm showing weakness. It wasn't that. It was this is the hardest. This is this thing is so unconfrontable. I never think about it. I, I I push it away. It's it's almost become something subconscious. So if I bring it to the forefront and I say let's address this, that's a very uh, scary and narrow path to walk because failure. I I, I figure life is failure at that mm. point mm. you know yeah so that was 2002 is did you start going all in was it dabbling a little bit and kind of lost weight went back off the wagon what was that like for the next 18 years till now i went all in and i'm a, I'm a sober guy too so i went all in in a very uh in a similar fashion to achieving sobriety which was admit that i'm powerless and turn my problem over to somebody else and go like, I am incapable of figuring this out right now. Uh I'm gonna do exactly what you say until we get to the point that I can take over. Mm. And she was like, great, here's what you're gonna do. I've uh, went and found a guy who has a liquid diet. You can do it for up to two months. Why don't you do that? You don't have to do it for two months. You can do it for one month. You can do it for two. Let's see how this goes. And I crushed that. Two months liquid diet. 80 pounds. Wow. Two months. This is not like drinking Cokes all day liquid diet. This is no sugar liquid diet. This is like, I mean, the calories were so low. It was like three weird protein shakes with some green powder Uh and a ton of supplements that were, I think, mostly fiber and some Mm. vitamins and as much water as I could drink. And that's it. 80 pounds, two months. 80 pounds. But that's still in the 400 zone. Yeah, but, but you must I will say it. this. Of all the weight I've gained and lost, I never dipped back into those 80 pounds. Wow. Never once. So wow. that, that I, it was such a prize that I've never gotten close to like back into that zone. And I followed that up with, um, I don't even know what the diet's called. It might have been like a blood type diet mm-hmm. or something. And... It was kind of on that where I realized, like, well, I'm going to have to try different diets. And I tried a 
basically every diet that exists. What worked the best for you? The easiest thing was keto. Yeah. Because I just didn't have to think about anything. Eat lots of meat. Just eliminate certain things and eat as kind of as much as you want of other stuff, right? Yeah, and I th- and that worked to a degree as I had less and less weight to lose, I found that I had to like mess around with what I was yeah. eating cuz yeah. you know, when I first started it was like you can eat bacon and Swiss cheese all day long. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, well, that's easy. And I, I would, and I'd lose weight, and I'd be like, this is a magical diet. And I'm putting mayonnaise on everything, yeah. and I'm losing weight. How is this possible? Um, you know, my little salad would have four cups of salad dressing on it. And, you know, no sugar, but, like, a ton of fat. Yeah. Um, and that did work, and I was able to do it, and it was super easy for traveling. You just rip the bread off stuff and eat steaks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's actually... I think uh, designed to be easy to get around the world and eat this way. Um, once I got really close to, there were there were two periods. There was a period in 2012 where I was super into cycling and I got really lean, much smaller was than you like I am. Like 190 now. or something, or one? I was just about 200, wow. but that's tiny for me. And. Um, you know, you think about 200, that's still, you're a big dude, but that was really, really small for me. And I just know, noticed that if I was eating only fat, I was suffering on the bicycle. Like, I wasn't as efficient on the bicycle. Mm-hmm. So some sugars, gels, carbs, yeah, some stuff. carbs entered my diet, and, like, I would fly up hills, you know, um, which was really cool. Then I had a bad accident. Um, my wife told me that I wasn't ever going to make a living riding a bike. You know, I thought we were rich and that I could retire and just ride my bike at like 35 years mm-hmm. old forever. Uh, that was not the case. Uh, she said I had to go work again. So I went back to acting and the bike kind of fell away and I started doing like CrossFit and, mm-hmm. and rowing machines. Mm-hmm. I was I could crush a full marathon on a rowing machine, no wow. problem. Um And then at some point, I was kind of having trouble finding work and kept hearing like, well, you're not the big guy, the heavy, lovable guy anymore. So there was a point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to eat and lift weights and see what happens. And I ate whatever I wanted for about a year and lifted weights and got pretty near 400 pounds again. Wow. Yeah. So you gained 200 pounds within a year. Close. Well, no, it was really from like 2000... Three years it was three wow. years, yeah. Two thousand thirteen. How long were you? How long did you pause from acting? Two thousand ten, and pause is not quite the right word. I did a few pilots that didn't get picked up. Sure, um, but I was putting no effort into it. It was like if they called me and said, "Please come do our pilot," I would do it. Right, but I'm not going on auditions. You're not. No. I was really just riding my bike. When you've been in, how many movies you've been in and TV shows? I've never counted. I actually have no 50 idea. Fifty plus, you think? Yeah, at least, right? Yeah. When you've been in that many movies or shows, do you have to audition anymore? Yeah, sure. You still have to audition. Yeah, definitely. Really? Even if they've seen all your work, they know what you can do. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of the, uh, the director wanting to see if you're exactly what he wants for this specific project or now that I'm physically different, what is that going to look like, you know? But yeah, yeah, I still have to audition. What was the 
when you look back, what do you think the, the thing is that drew you to eating as a, as a, a bad habit or an addiction or a mind numbing process that was a part of your life for so long? Was there a number of events? Was there moments? Was there something that connected you to that? I've tried to do like self psychoanalysis on this and I get to uh, a point where I'm five years old. I go to visit my grandparents in Vermont and their reaction to me. And if I look at a picture of myself as at five years old today, I see just like a normal, healthy kid with maybe some chubby cheeks, right? Mm -hmm. Their reaction to me was like, oh my God, what are your parents doing to you? You have gone to crap, right? This is out of hand. We need to get this under control. And my favorite food was lasagna, which my grandpa mm, would always so make good. me. Yeah, and he had it cooking. As I arrived, I could smell mm. it. And I'm there visiting them for the first time without my mom or dad in Vermont. Like, super excited. Their reaction is this. And then they basically were like, we're not, you can't have a second helping of lasagna. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host spectrum one is a big deal you get spectrum internet with the most reliable internet speeds free advanced wi-fi for enhanced security and privacy and a free spectrum mobile unlimited line with nationwide 5g included all while saving big for the big speed big reliability and big savings you want get spectrum one just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. So in that day was the first time that I snuck food and it was clearing the table and eating food off their plate. At plates. the same time, like clearing it and like... Yeah, just stuffing in a few bites because I was not allowed to, like I reached for a second helping and got my hand patted, like no. At five. Yeah, that's off limits. You, you eat what we tell you to do. And then the next day they weighed me first thing in the morning, which I, I'd never been on a scale before and, I, and I'm being weighed. And then it was like, okay, we're going on a on a on a one mile walk that is for your benefit and this did a number of things it developed the sneaking food habit that developed the habit of wanting to eat privately and and the idea that people mm. witnessing me eating was not good and it also created a a weird barrier to me just naturally wanting to be outside and active because at five i was very active running around but when it was enforced when it was this point of like a punishment almost yeah this is we're not consulting how willing you are to do this we're not saying is there something you'd like to do outside we're saying you must go march on this it was like a mile to their mailbox and, and a mile back and like this is not for fun this is for 
because you have gotten so overweight. That really pushed the idea of physical activity mm. into another punishment type thing where I just didn't want to do it anymore. So it was kind of this wild confluence of um, new mental structures that I built where it was like, well, I'm going to sneak food now and I'm going to not do activities. How insecure were you about your weight when you got older and started recognizing it or seeing maybe someone make fun of you or realizing like, oh, I can't go on a hike with my my girlfriend or my friends and do these certain activities. Did you feel insecure about it ever? Or was it more of just, this is who you are? I definitely felt insecure about it. I also got into a lot of fights as a kid and, and was like, you know, there were a few times in elementary school where like some preschooler would say like, wow, look how fat he is. And that um, obviously wasn't gonna fight a little preschooler. And, and you come to learn like, well, avoid little kids at all costs because they just say, they see something and they just talk about it, and I didn't, I, that w made me terribly uncomfortable. But if like another 10-year-old said something like that to me, we would just have a fight, and mm -hmm. then people would know like, oh, he's, he's like not a nice guy in that circumstance. Yeah. We're not gonna say that to him, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so how did you get into acting and being such a successful actor while also having this kind of insecurity or knew that you stood out in a different way than most of the other actors in Hollywood? There was like, uh, I, in school there were, I, I didn't really like school either. I didn't, I, I, I grew to really dislike anything done from a point of authoritarianism. Yeah. I, I just was not for me. So if it's like you're going on a diet or you have to do sports or you have to study, I was not into it. Um, which is really bizarre because now I love nothing more than a diet I find for myself and studying something I'm interested in and finding a sport to be interested. Like I can become obsessive about these yeah. things and do them 110% if it's my own determination. But from a point of authority, it just didn't fly. Um, and I noticed a, a couple of things. I was never like a class clown, but we had an actor in my school mm. And so much more attention was paid to the fact that he was an actor than any of his physical attributes, any of his other accomplishments in school. It, it was like this, this distraction, this like, here's who this person is, but like, here's this weird identity that actually has nothing to do with him that we're all gonna focus on that. And, and there was something kind of magical about that. Oh. Like, I can't like kill people with jokes. That's just not what I do. But what if I had that too? What You're not if super I had, sexy and attractive. I'm with not going to do pack. any. Yeah. yeah. But I could create this other identity that would distract people from how fat I am and, and talking about that or poking fun at me or even wanting to talk to me about it. Because like I'll just hmm. show them this. What if I do this? So there was, and it got you out of school. Because this dude would leave school for weeks at a time wow. and go hang out on sets and like, guess what's on a set? Craft services on a set. And Free food all day. And you got a trailer, like you can fill your pockets with food right. and go back to your trailer and eat it. Like it's this wonderful place. It was like- Unlimited food supply. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> and then there was also like always gonna be like some grip who had a prescription to Percocet mm. that you could like 
give a wink yeah, to yeah. and you know like your my and by the way it always started legitimately like my feet hurt my ankles and my knees hurt like these are real things yeah, I, you're on set 18 hours a day you're standing, doing this over and over. like none of it is just um irrational it's all irrational but it's also very mm-hmm. easily easily rationalized yeah. if that makes sense so how old were you when you realized this kid was an actor getting this attention 15, 15. 14. Where, where were you living? With my parents in Burbank. Oh, here in California. Yeah. Gotcha. So there was a there was a, a teen actor. Yeah. You were in LA. Yeah. And so was the next step like, I'm going to acting class. I'm going for auditions. Give me a manager. What was the next? The next step was like, I'm just not going to school. And uh, I'm a, a gigantic 14-year-old and my parents are not going to get me in the car and get me to school. Like, they're just... It's just not going to happen. And they're also not going to be able to talk me into it because I'm a jerk. <laughs> you mean that just age. like, no, yeah. shut up, mom and dad. But, yeah, like, I don't care. And then it was kind of thinking about my life and, and going like, well, he has a job. That's not hard. You, like, remember lines and, and you go and say them. And, and you create this kind of alter ego that distracts people and and puts the focus on something completely arbitrary um and uh, i think i was 17 and i just you know had pictures taken maybe at 16 sent them out to people got an agent first day of auditions i got a job no way yeah first audition i the first thing i auditioned for was melrose place I then went from that audition to Boy Meets World, and on and the audition for Melrose Place, they said we want you to do it. Then they found out I wasn't in the union, and they said oh, we don't have it in the budget to buy your, his way into the union. But Boy Meets World did, and so that was my first job. So the first Same day of day. auditions, the second audition, you do. Do you remember your lines? Do you remember what this was even about? Yes, I. It's like a thirty-second thing. It's five minutes. It's it's a, I remember the lines very clearly, actually, strangely enough. Um, I shove Ben Savage into a locker and I say, hey, you were almost in my way. And he says something. I don't remember what he says. I only remember what I say. And I say, what, are you saying I'm gay? And, and he says, no, 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 no. And then I'm like, good. And that was the audition. It was like, Maybe a little bit more than that, but I remember that so much because there was so much discussion on the set of like, there's no way this gay joke stays in. Mm. There's no way. Back then, it was like a big. Well, I mean, no, no, yeah. I don't know if it stays in today. Mm. It wound up staying in. Like the writers liked it, and then the studio and network signed off on it, and it stayed in. But I remember the director. By the way, the director, what a glorious guy! This guy David Trainer, who wound up directing every episode of that '70s show, and then every episode of The Ranch, which I went and did a bunch of episodes for, and got to work with him again, like 25-year bookends, wow. you know, from '94 to whenever we did the last episode, a couple of years ago. Yeah, what was that like? Seeing a director so 25 great. years apart, so cool. Did he remember you from oh, that audition? Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe not the audition, but he remembered me from work, and we right, right. laughed about Boy Meets World, and you know, talked about our careers through the years, and and we got to work together again, like a tr- total sweetheart of a guy. Do you feel like it was easier getting uh, booked as an actor back in the '90s with the process that it was then than it would be for someone now? 
I don't know. Probably not. I'm sure it's just as hard. Right. I think it's... it's it seems just, like it was easy for you. I just showed it, up. It and was very... They wanted me yeah. in the first one, but they couldn't afford me. The second one, they wanted me, and they paid for uh, me. Yeah, it, it was not the war of attrition that uh, many people experienced. I, that was not my experience. And then, was there ever a time where it was hard to get booked? Or were you, like, every year, you were getting something? Whether it was a commercial or a, a guest spot or a movie, every year you were getting something, pretty much. I worked consistently until after my name is Earl. And then, in fairness, I wasn't trying to work. And I still was getting offered pilots, and I did a bunch of pilots that didn't get picked up. Right. Um, and then, after that, I, I, like a few years of that, I, I went like, oh, I need to work. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, we're not like wealthy people, I have to work. And then there was, I noticed a little bit of a grind. But leading up to that, like the beginning of my career, you know, there were certainly things I wanted to do that I didn't get to do, but for the most part, I was constantly working. What do you think it is that makes you such a great actor and such a great bookable actor for 25 years? I have no idea. Right. I think I just have a good line of bullshit. You're going to have to beep that, but like I can con people into hiring me. But there has to be something, your way of conning people, what is that? Is it a way of being? Is it, are you just so convincing in the role? Do you, again, you talked about, I get to put myself on an alter ego. Do you truly step into an alter ego and just don't care what anyone thinks? If you look silly, you're just like, I am the character, or are you just confident? What's the thing that makes you stand out? There is something about what you're saying that has some truth, and I'll try to um, elaborate on my ideas of it. There is, it can happen where I, I'm a pretty shy person and I um, am not an extrovert by any means and I don't like being around a lot of people. But if I'm in it and if I'm being a character that doesn't have those kind of whatever you want to call mm -hmm. mental afflictions, which I don't even think of them really, it's <laughs> yeah. just my personality. Yeah. But if I'm playing somebody who has a different personality, while acting, so it's not like I exist this way 24 hours a day like Daniel Day-Lewis, like I've heard he right. does. It's not that. But if you're in the environment of a set experience. if But it's even less. If the, if the guy says action, I can feel that insecurity goes away. Gone. And I can feel some version of what I think that person is feeling. If how, that how do you do sense. that? I have no idea. <laughs> I really have no idea. Did you have a lot of training? No. or was, Did you go to acting class or workshops? Or did you just say, I think this is what the character's going to do. I'm going to act like it. And I went to acting classes when I was 16. And they were great. They didn't really teach me anything you're talking about. <laughs> so, I mean, it just, just came naturally then. I think so. Did you watch a lot of movies and TV? And did you kind of mimic these things? of actors that you'd watch? I watched a lot of TV and movies. I definitely did mimic stuff, for sure. I did some of that, but um, I, w I don't think I was very good at it, necessarily. Oh, like, one of these guys who, like, can... Uh, there's a guy named Jim Meskimen who can, like, do these voices, and you believe it's, like, Robert De Niro mm -hmm. or Morgan Freeman or, or somebody, like, an iconic voice that you hear, and you go, that's him, and then it's not. It's this guy. I could never do something yeah. like that. Um, 
But I, but I was into mimicry, and I, and, yeah. I, and I was, I've always been interested in people and mannerisms. I find mm. different mannerisms to be so interesting, yeah. and and um, you know, I, I do, I do have an affinity for different people, and just think that um, there's something to be said about the way different people behave, yeah. and and then I like the idea of all of my BS. See how I did that? All of my BS. I could just get rid of it for a moment mm. by being this other person. And it was this kind of freeing, wonderful thing. Now, the minute they say cut, all my garbage back. comes back. You walk it's back your trailer gone. and it's, it's still like, somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and then I'm going to craft service and I'm filling my pockets and I'm going to eat it in private. That was still true. So you would never eat in public with like friends. It's like, hey, come eat with us for lunch. I would, but I'd be very uh, considerate portions. of what I'm eating. Yeah, I would never eat the way I wanted to eat. And then, you know, I would go eat on my way home. Mm -hmm. Get some fast food or whatever and, and, and stuff just it down, load man. load up, yeah. Man. I, I always thought, you know, he's, you know who's really thin? Junkies are really thin. And then it didn't work for me. Drugs, I just kept gaining weight. <laughs> so you tried the drugs and it didn't work? I tried the drugs, it didn't work. Really? Yeah. I tried to. I wasn't trying the drugs in order to lose weight. I was, I was in legitimate physical pain, and I was trying to numb that out. And then it just turned out I really liked drugs and alcohol, you right. know. And and I would use those in 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 a very similar way, in a sneaky way, and to extreme excess. What was more painful, the emotional or mental pain, discomfort, or the physical pain? I think <clears throat> when I had to like pick it apart for sure the physical pain was worse but it was something that i wasn't connecting with it just existed it grew so gradually um that it it, it wasn't something i was even aware of until no. i got rid of all of it and i went oh my god like <laughs> what was i dealing with back then it was tremendous pain the mental stuff like i i don't know how to weigh that you know what i mean i, I still have there's still mental pain. There's still mental garbage to work through mm -hmm. every single day. Really? Yeah. What's the biggest thing that you're trying to work through still? Uh, motivation. Like, you know. To stay in shape, to stay, like, eating just, healthy just consistently. Existence requires some effort to get motivated. All of it. Eating healthy. Um you know, I, I can get into a, a routine and the routine is fine for me, like I, like a hamster on a wheel. I will just sit and do that all day long. Well, it turns out my wife wants to be taken out and that's <laughs> right. not part of my routine. So like that's effort. Turns out my kids don't like the food that I'm eating right now. Mm -hmm. That requires effort. You know what I mean? And so there's all of these things and by the way just getting out of bed every day and and like having to think about guilt and how i feel about guilt and guilt i think ultimately is a good thing but it can also be debilitating it can mm. be so much that it knocks you off your path and makes you go screw it i'm not doing any of this because w why bother i'm yeah. already feeling the guilt so i'm done what are you most guilty about i don't I don't feel guilt today. I have no guilt today, but I'm saying um, the idea of like if I've if I've got a guy who's programming my training right now because I'm because you know as I get to a 
point of body fat percentage that I've never been at before, even when I was 200 pounds and riding mm. my bicycle eight hours a day. Um, you were what, skinny fat then? I, I wasn't even skinny fat. Like 12% body fat in a DEXA scan is not fat at all. You're way below the average, but I'm trying to get to eight, nine percent, and wow. each one of those is really, really so hard. hard. And so I got a guy programming workouts and and food and everything's being programmed right now. Now I got to, I think 13% on my own. Mm. And then it was just like, if I go harder, I'm losing muscle mass. If I go easier, I'm not losing anything. Like I needed a little help, right? And so now it's gotten down to like, you get one and a half grams of salt per day. And for oh me, my God. But, but I'll go like, well, I'll measure the salt in a teaspoon, right? Uh, that's a teaspoon and a half of salt, no big deal. But then it's like, no, dude, are you also adding soy sauce? That's got sodium. Are you also drinking diet soda? That's got sodium. Like one and a half grams means total, right? And so I'll get guilt about that. Now, there was a point in my life where I would have so much guilt from something like that like, mm. if I realized at the end of the day, like, wow, I doubled my salt intake for today, that I would just go, well, let me just Who order cares? a pizza. <laughs> That's me. I would have one piece, one bite, and I was like, ah, just eat the whole box. Yeah. Of chocolate, pizza, ice cream. Whatever. That's me. I'm going to go to, I'm going to find Krispy Kreme when, it, when it's 12, piping hot. Yeah, eat the whole box. Go. And get one to go. Yeah. I could go for a box right now. I can eat a box of donuts no problem right now. I'm not going to. <laughs> but like that, so like I'm trying to balance guilt and go like I want, I want the guilt to let me know like, okay, mm -hmm. you screwed up. Tomorrow you're going to do better. That is where guilt works for me. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Why do you think guys like me and you, when we cross the, the barrier of guilt, uh, I shouldn't have done that. That little thing, I shouldn't have had that thing because I told myself I wasn't going to eat that piece of chocolate. Right. Now I ate it. Let me just go all in and have, like, the day's ruins. Let me eat the whole box of chocolates, the whole pizza, the whole bucket of ice cream, the gallon. Why, why do you think guys like us do that? What is that? So I think... As opposed to somebody who can just, ah, I just have one bite and I feel bad and let me stop. Right. Which is, which is where I'm trying. I'm trying to analytically talk myself into being that. And, yes. it's, a, and it's a lot of effort. This is effort, dude. All effort. Um, I think I am constantly trying to talk myself into failure and then subsequently having to talk myself out. And I think the mind or whatever portion, there's a guy named Gurdjieff who talks about how there's a thousand of us in each of us and each one has a mission. Like one guy's mission is the box of donuts. <laughs> whether you listen to that voice or not, there's part of you that's uh -huh. going like, how is that not valid? Eat it, eat it. Yeah, that's a valid part of you, but like, I'm trying to follow this one voice right now. And I think there's just the constant, like, let's derail him, let's derail him. And it's it's be, it's winning that every time. Mm. And, and the, the part of me that's like the addict, that's constantly looking for angles, like 
maybe if he goes a little harder in the gym today, he'll hurt himself. And then he'll be And a, then yeah. he'll need a surgery, and then we'll get some drugs. Really? Like, I think that's part of it. And you gotta go, no, not gonna go too hard. Not gonna hurt myself, you know? Like, I'm looking at those future possibilities. And so, guilt can be the same thing. Guilt can be like, well, you screwed up. Screw up all the way. It doesn't matter, you've already screwed up. You know, okay. But I didn't screw up all the way, <laughs> right? So I'm gonna take a win for that. That's yeah. a, a big W for the team, you know. All and all the good eyes inside me are rejoicing. They're going, yeah, and all the bad eyes are like, damn, he beat us again. What do you think about in the morning before your day when you wake up? Because I think people in general think about their food, yeah, and think about sugar and think about eating healthy, eating bad. I think it's a part of a lot of our makeup, yeah especially in today with just body dysmorphia, with social media, with influencers, with filters. I think people are obsessing about it. What do you have to think about to make sure you set yourself up for a healthy day? It's never day of. It's always days ahead of time. So if I have three days of food left, that's when I start thinking, Okay, what's the next round of food going to look like? What, what do you mean three days of food left? Like, like if in I, a week? If we get to Friday yeah. and I run out of food on Sunday, I'm starting to think about, okay, I got to figure out what I'm buying f at the store. You mean I, the food in your, in your fridge? Yeah. Gotcha. Like, mm -hmm. am I, w w what produce did I see last week? Is it bananas right now? Is it blueberries? Like, what's in season? Um, what vegetables do I feel like eating right now? Am I going to yeah. go for some lean beef or am I going to make it a fish shopping run? It's a couple days in advance and I might not go to the store, but I'll go to the store with at least 48 hours of food still in my house. I'll never go to the store hungry. I'll do my shopping and... Hmm. The food for tomorrow is always prepared a day before, or food for whatever day it is. I don't know if I said that in a confusing way. It's prepared way. the day before you always, eat. Always, yeah. So it's ready to go, so you don't have to think last minute, like, oh, I'm hungry, let me just snack on something. That's a, that's a death note So you for plan me. your week for your nutrition to set yourself up to win. Yeah. And that helps you mentally, it helps you prepare for the day and just not have to stress about the yeah. challenges that come now I as much. Right. I still get stressed sometimes. Like last year I was in Louisiana a lot for work and so I would I would get I would be bringing a day's worth of food with me on the plane. So I knew I'm safe for the day. The day until you get there. Well, even safe after I get there cuz I've got food for wow. when I'm there. But my very first stop, I get my rental car and I'm going to the grocery store. That's the very first thing I'm doing. And I'm not doing it hungry, and I'm not doing it when I'm out of food. I'm doing it so that I never ha hit that point. What happens when you go to the grocery store hungry? I just make bad decisions. I, I will find inevitably that there's something in my cart that I hadn't planned on getting, and somehow it's there, or I've bought it, and I'm unpacking it, and I'm like, I wasn't gonna buy this. Why did I buy this? Why am I eating, eating it this? now? now I'm before eating I have to check it. out. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? Why here? is it gone? Yeah. Do you feel like this is too much of an obsession? Should all people think this way? No. Or is this only for people you think that really need to take care of their health? Look, I hear about um, there's a big movement right now, intuitive eating, which I think yeah. is how you should eat. That sounds like the most rational way to eat. That would not work for me. 
Yes. That is not something that I am at a place now that I would be successful with. But not everybody is an alcoholic. Not everybody's a recovering drug addict. Not everybody was 500 pounds. Not everybody... I don't think everybody's dealing with the same mental garbage. We're all unique. We're all different in that way. I'm sure there's a lot of... You could clump groups together and go, like, these people are similar in this way. Okay, fine. But even if you break it down, you're going to find lots of differences. Right. And so... I, I would never think anybody has to do what I do, but I would suggest like if you're finding yourself at the grocery store and you keep having stuff in your cart that you weren't going to buy and you're then eating it, try Just give it a yeah. shot going full Eat, yeah. <laughs> and then go to the grocery store and see yeah. if you can stick to your plan. That's all. Yeah. But like if you're not having that trouble, then you don't even need to think about it. You've got a couple kids, right? Four. Four kids. Yeah. What's the age range? Jeez, the oldest is 24, the youngest is tw 13. What advice do you have to parents of kids in this day and age on how they should be, their way of being, their energy, their communication style to their kids around food, nutrition, working out, based on what you saw didn't work from your personal experience? Maybe there are other factors involved than just your, your grandparents saying this to you and kind of sure. doing that stuff. I'm sure there's other factors, yeah. but what advice would you have to parents to raising healthy um, kids on nutrition and fitness? I mean, I will first say I failed at all of the things that I would give advice on. Um, not that I'm a failure, my kids are awesome, touring college, the other two are very successful in their schools. Like, they're really, really great kids. They're well-adjusted. But any advice that I would give, I, I've also failed at and, right. and not done in the way that I wish I had. But I, I, the most important thing is I read a study um, by a guy that came out of Harlem which just talked about the number of words that are said to children at a very young age and how influential that can be on their life. And I didn't, that's like the one thing I didn't fail at. I talked to my kids a lot. I read to them and I talked to them and I would sit down and have a conversation with them about anything they wanted. Mm. And obviously they're all girls. So there were times where stuff came up and I said that you should really talk to mom about because I'm not, I don't really know about that. So that happened, but mostly was just talking to them and not being afraid to use words that they didn't understand and for sure making sure they knew what I was talking about if mm -hmm. they didn't understand what I was talking <clears throat> yeah. about. Um, and then there were lots of times that they just said, like, shut up, Dad, you're just showing off big words, and, and, then, and, and that would be the end of the conversation. But, um, you know, the, the, I grew up in a household where food was very restricted, Mm. There was never alcohol in the house and drugs were super taboo and I wound up having bad habits with each of those things. So pretty early on my wife and I and and of course all three of those are, are my biggest fear for my kids. Like if my kids get into any of those, I don't know how I react. I don't know how I just yeah. break in half and turn into like a giant puddle of grief that that gives up on life and the guilt will that I could posit that that would be the insurmountable guilt that mm. I go, forget it. I'm done. I'm ruined. Right. Um, 
So in order to avoid that, we made these kind of things not taboo or attempted to make them t as, as not taboo as possible. Nobody's going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, really? That's good. Our house is, is like a safe area. Um, you know, how do, uh, how do you do that where it's not taboo, but it's like, okay, if my daughter's eating three buckets of ice cream every day, Hey, like, let's have a conversation. Listen, that, and that's where I'd say I'd failed mostly with the food because uh, much in the way I grew up where um, I think in an attempt to affect my eating, my mom was shopping at health food stores before they were trendy when it was like hippies, Sikhs, and people who right. were very obviously dying of cancer right. at Erewhon. And there was dust on everything, right. and the, the Kardashians cool. were not going there. Yeah, it wasn't cool. It was like a dump, right? When I mm -hmm. was a little kid, um, that's where my mom shopped because she wanted to get healthy food to feed to me. And my reaction was, "Well, I'm just going to eat as much unhealthy food as possible." So I've also failed in that sense mm -hmm. of like, kids, we're not eating chicken thighs because they're high in fat. We're just going to eat chicken breasts and they're, none of them like this. And it's like tough luck. That's what I bought, you know? Right. Um, so I didn't do that well. Uh, but what I've, we've seemed to m manage a little bit better. And now we have kids in college, one's a senior and, um, and it, and I hope this has been successful. I mean, it has from all, uh, observable factors that you know drugs and alcohol were something that we just wanted to have conversations about you know that nobody was going to get yelled at nobody was going to get in trouble just be honest with us and and then it never that kind of thing never became a problem no, that's good yeah that, that was a big success that's good yeah yeah uh we were talking about this before about how you it's 20 it's 20 year anniversary remember the titans 25 yeah 20 20 year anniversary this year yeah. This like, month. Like right now. Now. Yeah. Which was a big uh, football movie for me. I was a junior when that was playing. Maybe I was a senior. Maybe I was going in my senior year. So I was a senior uh, in 2000. And it was a big, big hit for every football player in America. So it was a big part of my like senior year, going to college. I remember watching that movie a lot. What are your thoughts on 20 years later for what you said was the biggest premiere of a movie you've ever been to at the Rose Bowl, 20,000 people, uh, fighter jets coming over, you know, every celebrity and their friend there. What are your thoughts 20 years later from that movie for you? It's, I have really selfish, vain thoughts. <laughs> What's that? And, and like, I go like, how appropriate is that movie today? Number one, super relevant. Um, that's cool. Yeah. That's not, with, with that's, racism, not the, that's not the vain thought. With the racism conversation, all, social justice. All of it. Yeah. And it's like designed to be appropriate for little kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a Disney PG movie. PG 13 or PG. Yeah. I don't PG, know if it's PG, PG or PG 13, but it's a Disney movie. It's not Touchstone, which normally a mm -hmm. movie about football would be over in touch. This right. is Disney. Yeah. Right? So, like, what a great message at any entry level. You know, you're showing kindergartners this mm -hmm. movie and it's appropriate. Great. I played a real person. The guy I played was never as big as I was. Right. Never. <laughs> yeah. And I feel so much guilt about that even today. Um, really? He was like, what, 280 maybe or something? Right. He was a normal whatever part. By the way, Lineman. I don't know anything yeah. about football. So yeah. whatever 
position I played. I don't, yeah, lineman probably. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I have some guilt about that. Being way bigger than the real person was. And then at the premiere, there were certain things that happened that kind of just solidified how awful this was. Um, we'd never met these guys. I'd never met him. We, the real life people. Yeah. And, 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 you know, while it's like based on a true story, there's a lot in there that's invented and, mm -hmm. and, and, and fictionalized. And, um, you know, it's not exactly what happened, I don't think. I don't know what the real story is, but there was no desire for us to get to know these guys. I played a real guy in a movie called Deepwater Horizon, and that, that was, you're looking at pictures, you're having some correspondence with their family, we we're gonna honor this person, mm -hmm. right? So it was very different. This was like, no, no, this is just, just concentrate on the movie, right? Fine, that's what we did. But I meet him, and I'm, and he's just like a normal big guy who looks like he played football. I do not at that point look at all like I played football. And I feel, whether he did this or not, I feel this feeling of I'm disappointing him. This is who's playing me. Mm. He kind of looked at you with a little... I don't know. Who knows? I don't know if he did. If he did, he was more than, he had more than reason to do that. If he didn't and it was all an invention in my head, then that's what happened. I don't know what's true, but I felt, yeah, wow, I'm, I'm twice your size, I'm portraying you. Mm. And then there was a thing where all the guys whose real life guys showed up, get together with the actor who played them and we sit on the back of little golf cars and there's a parade. We do a parade around the the Rose Bowl. Wow. You know, there's like a track. Stadium, yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> this is crazy. I've never even talked about this. We're last, or we're not even last, but we get in the car. You and him. Yeah. The real guy. Yeah. On the back, facing backwards, right? And I sit down and... I don't know how this happens, but the tire under me goes flat. Oh, instantly, it does not, man. Instantly goes flat. It does flat. not. No, it does not. And there's dudes oh with walkie-talkies and headsets no. screaming, you got to go, you got to go. So other cars are now driving around us to go in this parade. Right, so it's not a, a long gap of no one going. Right. And we get out, and they're scrambling, like, get another car. I've, I don't know what happened to the tire. I don't know if it was like had a hole in it and I was just the straw that broke its back. I don't know what happened, but for me, I crushed that tire. My weight <laughs> flattened that tire. And so we yeah. then are standing there waiting and I'm like, oh my God, this is just one of the most horrific moments of his life, I assume. And it feels really bad to me. And then they get a car and we get in the car and it doesn't crush the tire this time, but the car cannot move in the way that the other cars are moving. The other cars are, we're already like going to try and play catch up. Oh my god! And we're just going like half the speed of oh the rest of them. Oh my gosh. So they lap us. No, they don't. <laughs> and I probably should not be laughing. No. But the way I you're mean, telling me is making me. Yeah. It was. 
and then we get off on the field and we wave and then he turned and walked away and I never saw him again and I could not have felt worse dude I felt like oh my gosh I felt horrible what a horrible horrible experience I think they went out and did like a full lap and we just like <laughs> tried to catch on to the back and they very quickly pulled away. You were like 20 yards and stopped or something? Well, we made it almost a full way around. As but people like, are lapping they're, you. They're already out of their cars no. and standing together and we're like going so slow, just like painfully slow, all by ourselves, <laughs> not in this parade at all. It would be amazing for somebody to find the video of this because somebody must have taken video of this. So. What were you feeling as you got back on the just golf cart? Utterly humiliated. Oh my utterly gosh! Utterly humiliated. Did you say like? Did you say like? No, I'll walk. I'll, I'll like. No take a way! Stroke. I wasn't walking. He might have actually. He so might. So you have you walked. both got off after the, the yeah. golf cart collapses. I, collapses. We get a new golf cart. Get on. Which it. probably felt like an eternity, but it was probably like sixty seconds later. Something like that. And then we got on it, and very clearly just like we're just slowly. inching along inching along in our golf cart. Um, <laughs> Why you explain this? It was awful. Um, and, I, and I've felt tremendous guilt about that. Oh my gosh. I, I, I still feel a bit of guilt about that. Did you say anything to him afterwards or was it like you guys stopped, waved, and he went his way 20 years later? You haven't spoken to him. No. I think he actually passed away a few mm. years ago mm. and that's a shame too. No. But I mean, I, you know, I don't know what I could have done, but I, f I feel I feel bad for the guy. So was that one of your most humiliating moments in yes, your acting career? For sure. What was the one of the proudest moments in your acting career? Um, I did a TV show called Chance, which was on Hulu, and um, oddly enough, Stephen King became obsessed with it and started tweeting about me, and I felt pretty proud about that. So was it the fact that he was tweeting about you, or was well, it the fact of your performance you felt? Yeah, I, I, I felt <clears throat> proud of it. I was playing a very intelligent, tough guy. I've never done that before, and and I, and so I was feeling tough or intelligent bit. and tough. Both, because American X Three X was more of a know. tough. He was a guy. Come on, I, I was a bit of a clown in that. Gotcha. Movie. Yeah, I maybe he maybe that guy was tough, but he wasn't intelligent. Gotcha. So intelligent and tough. Yeah. yeah. And like capable and all this stuff and like you know um, in shape and I, I was still pretty heavy at that point. This was this was one, right in the middle of like I'm gonna eat whatever I want and lift wow. weight. So I had a lot more so muscle. Big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also had a lot more fat. And I, I I was just I've just always been proud of that. Like I thought it was really really a cool show. Did you ever? get frustrated feeling typecasted at any point or do you ever feel like oh, I really wanted this role but I'll never be able to get it Spectrum One is a big deal you get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included all while saving big for the big speed big reliability and big savings you want get Spectrum One just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I, di I didn't ever get frustrated being typecast because I was working. And, and the you know, as long as I was working, everything was fine. Um, 
And then there was a role, there was a book called The Confederacy of Dunces, which I really wanted to play a character in that. And it would have been appropriate, too, because he was an overweight guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a number of instances where, like, I remember at one point, like, John Cusack was going to wear a fat suit and do it. And then Will Ferrell was going to wear a fat suit and do it. And there was one version of a script which they were interested in me doing. Uh, I think Chris Farley was going to do it right before he passed wow. away. Um, and then there was a moment where there was some momentum in me playing that role. And then it fell apart. It always fell apart. Um, I still think that would be such a cool movie. Mm. I would not be right for it at all today. Right. And plus, he's much younger than I am now. Mm. This was like, you know, my early 20s. Which moment on set that you were either involved in, in the scene, or watching, or whatever, on the set, experiencing it, where you're like, that was the greatest acting moment I've ever witnessed? Do you remember? Was there a specific actor, whether famous or not famous, or just a, a scene? Or maybe it wasn't even something that made the film, but a moment you're like, wow, it moved you. Here, you know, listen, I've been in some really, really good movies with really, really talented actors. I've worked with Edward Norton a couple of times, with Denzel Washington a few times, with um, Leonardo DiCaprio and, and, and Jonah Hill. I've worked with him on multiple movies. Um, and seeing him do some like really incredible acting, and and all of these guys are super capable. Oddly enough, um, I watched a scene at the end of a movie that is, by all accounts, a silly little like violent comedy that I was in, and the gal who was the lead in this movie was doing acting work that was mind blowing. I thought her name's Betty Gilpin. She's on a TV show called Glow, mm. and oh, the uh, rest, female wrestling one. Yeah, and yeah. we did a movie called The Hunt, and she was really good in all the scenes I was in with her. But I watched a scene towards the end of the movie where I was just truly blown away by her in the way that you're talking about, and that's the only, that's what comes to mind right now. It might also be like the most <clears throat> recent movie I had come right. out, so watch it on pay per view, but. I, I'm, it's also an honest answer. In the hunt, yeah. Is this about like hunting people? Yes. It's a, it's a. It's It's like a kind of like ridiculous the first scene, movie. like in the woods, and it's like five people die right away. Yes. I watched this movie. Yeah. So that gal Which does some she? stuff. She's the main girl. Oh, at the end, the fight scene, and and not just the fight scene, but leading up to the fight scene where she's in the bunker, and she has a conversation with the dude. And she's doing stuff that you're like, what the hell are you doing? It's so awesome. Interesting. So you were there on set watching this? No. Or you saw a take? I saw, I saw, I saw it afterwards. I, I saw a take. I don't. I didn't watch the whole movie, but I saw. Um, I saw that scene, and I and I was like, dude, this girl is doing some far out shit. Really? Yeah. What do you think it was? about her way of being that made it so special and memorable for you? You know, here, here's the thing. The, 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 other, the other time I was impressed, bringing it back to Remember the Titans, was Ryan Gosling on Remember the Titans. Really? That was a, kind of as a breakout role too, right, for him? He had done a bunch of stuff. He was on like the Mickey Mouse Club with really? all, with like oh, okay. Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. I didn't know that. And yeah, he was like a full child actor and then he did like Young Hercules or something mm. like that for years <clears throat> in New Zealand. 
He was skinny and remember the Titans. He was a he was the youngest. He was the only one who was a teenager. Really? I think. Yeah. And we're sitting down with the director Boaz and Ryan you were talking about the scenes and talking about the the general vibe and Ryan says, just so you know, here's this thing about my character and Boaz like, what are you talking about? That's gonna be so distracting. I know you can't do that. And Ryan says, No, no. If it's distracting, you tell me and I won't do it, but like I really feel strongly about this. And and then he proceeds to be one of the most interesting characters with not a lot of dialogue in that movie. He is doing stuff that is not distracting at all, but makes you look at him and be interested. And I think that's what Betty is doing in The Hunt. There's a thing like, look, we're all trying to be real and natural, unless you're doing like a slapstick comedy and then you're doing some big cartoonish character, right? That's a thing. But for the most part, the movies that I've done are, are, are not that. So you're, you're trying to be authentic and real. You're trying and, to yeah. be authentic and real. You're trying to clobber together and mold a, a mental idea of what this character is, what their interests are. And you're adding as much to that as possible to, to give it depth. And I think if you, if you look at the really great actors, they're picking and choosing mannerisms and things that are real but are also like really interesting and unique versus like a guy who shows up and says his lines, right? And by the way, sometimes like you look at like Robert Duvall and The Godfather and sometimes that stillness is really interesting, right? But he's choosing to do that. That's a choice that Mm -hmm. he's making. He's not just lazily showing up and saying his lines. I think I've done that a lot. I have just shown up and said my lines and when I, when I can find interesting things and actually put a bunch of effort into the character and create this alter ego for myself, I think it becomes more special. And and Ryan Gosling did that Mm. in Remember the Titans. And Betty Gilpin did that in The Hunt. What did Ryan do? What were his mannerisms that really stuck out? You just have to watch it because none of it is how he behaved in real life. And he has a presence that is nothing like him at all in real life. It's a, it's a character choice. And he's got to communicate that to the audience without saying a lot where the focus of the scene is not typically him. And he does it perfectly. Where it's not distracting. Not at all. I mean, you could have a guy who's just hamming it up trying to get on camera. That's not what he's doing. Being silly and goofy or something. Right. For some reason, I don't think I've seen this movie in probably a decade, but for some reason, I remember him like kind of doing a nod with his head type of thing. I don't know if that was what he did, but he did kind of like a chuckle thing with his head, like a kind of a silly, but not too different. I don't know if that was it or not. That's part of it, yeah, but, but he had, I think like, it's his in manner every, everything. Every scene that he's in, he is existing as this character. Wow. And it's not... It's thoughtful, it's, it's intentional. It's much more than just a dude at high school. It's much more than that. And I say that remembering really liking him and being friendly with him at the time and observant of him and seeing what he did and being impressed by it and knowing that he put more into it than just a dude at high school. And there, I don't know that I showed up and put any more into it than just 
I'm a guy at high school. I really don't. And that's just being completely frank. I was probably just a guy at high school. And Ryan wasn't. And that's why he's who he is. Wow. You also said that you don't watch any of your own films. No. And you've probably been in 40, 50 plus films or whatever. You only watch your, you don't watch your scenes unless you scenes. are maybe on set and the director says, come check a look at this and I need you to. I don't even really like to do that. <laughs> it, it screws me up. Here's the thing. Like if there's a technical reason that I have to look at it because, because I'm not understanding what he wants to see and he's telling me like, no, you need to get further or deeper or whatever. Cause it, you know, I, I, that's happened, and I'll look at that, and he'll play it back, and he'll say, see you land here, I want you to land here. But if there's also tape on the ground, so like... Right, you know where you're supposed if to If I'm missing it by that much, somebody's just going to move the tape, or you know what I mean? So why did, did you watch your first clip back on Boy Meets World? Did you like... I probably did, and, and it, I've just very quickly realized that like I'm never going to be truly satisfied w- with what I do. I'm never going to think like that was a home run. And once it's done, it's done. I have no power to affect changing it. You know, as an athlete, we would play a football game, and then we'd watch the game film Yeah. the next day to see what can we do better, how, how, you know, or our mistakes, things like that. Did you ever see yourself as wanting to study your film and try to say, how can I improve it That's for the next fair. time? And I'll tell you what, I, I, I did that one time, but here's the thing, here's the difference. Like, movie to movie, I'm doing something completely different. Mm. But we did the pilot for My Name is Earl, and then there's like a weird gap where like, who knows what's you wait happening? Six months to a year. Yeah. Just like a- some dude in Kansas City who owns the world is watching it and going like, "I like this. Put this on." You know, something <laughs> like that really happens. And um, right. we're meanwhile we're like, "What are we going to do for work? Let's find another thing." I go off and do a movie and right, and then it's like, "No, no, we're doing this show now. We got to do however many more." I think first season we did like twenty five episodes. Wow. And I remember going back to the set and going to the, the creator, Greg Garcia. I go, I have no idea what to do. Like, I don't remember, like, what, what do I do? Six months ago when you shot the pilot. Yeah, yeah. like, and that was, that was like, a, that was a legit character. And it, it just, like, evaporated from my mind. <laughs> um, and he was like, okay, let me show you this scene. And he just played me one scene. And he said, all you have to do is open your mouth and look up. And he showed me one clip of me like doing that, opening my mouth and looking up and I had it and I was like, good, I'm good, I'm good to go. And that was it. And so, yes, in the same way that I think an athlete can watch a football to go like, oh, if I'm getting out here faster, but you're also talking about like some kind of choreography where you are doing something with other people that you want to repeat exactly. And you can look and go like, I'm missing it here. With acting, it's not quite that. I could see doing it for a a play or theater. I could totally see that. Do you feel like you never wanted to, what if you had a six pack when you were 22 and remember the Titans, would you think psychologically you'd be like, yeah, I want to watch myself with a six-pack. That's possible. Like, destroying a dude or catching a football. I mean, look, As opposed it, to being the overweight guy all the time and not wanting to look at that. I think if I had a six-pack at 22, I never would have done Remember the Titans. I would have been happier in school, and, you know, who knows what my life would be like now. Um, 
if I had had a six pack at 22 and still wound up being an actor, I think I'm an actor because like I wasn't super confident enough to do anything else because it, acting was escaping who I was. And if I had a six pack, what do I need to escape from? I mean, that's all anybody needs is a six pack. Is that what you think? No, <laughs> but it helps. You felt like, <laughs> so you felt like the whole time acting was an escape for you? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Do you still feel like it's an escape now? Not as much. I don't find that I need to escape very much mm. now. I'm also like an old man. I have kids in college. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what the hell am I escaping from right. now? Like, my life is awesome. I have all these <laughs> kids and a wonderful wife. And like, I really am pretty content. Um, there's not much I want to escape from yeah. now. What advice would you give to young people trying to become, to become an actor or get into the acting world? What what feedback, advice, suggestion? The, the, I think that there's a lot of um, an idea that there's that it's like very glamorous and um, mm. and a lot of like Hollywood parties. And there's some of that certainly. There is no glamour on a set at all. And now I say that not being Jennifer Lopez and knowing like what she maybe. She, maybe she gets some glamour and like is allowed to shut stuff down if she's having a bad hair day because that's such a big part of her presence, mm -hmm. right? I don't know. I haven't yeah. worked with her or somebody of her stature in that way. I've never seen glamour on a set unless that's what we're filming. And then it's right. all BS. It's yeah. all make-believe. It's not real glamour. It's, it's like a facade, right? So that's not part of it at all. It's like construction dudes with cameras and heavy equipment. And everyone's in your face and there's no privacy. Yeah, yeah, and you, you've got makeup on and a costume that doesn't quite fit exactly the way real clothes would. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot going on that you're constantly aware that this is BS. This is not real life. Mm -hmm. This is fake. Um, and then for me... You can see when people are lazy. I know that I was lazy a lot in my career, and I know it's very obvious that I was lazy. And you can see when somebody's done a lot of creating this character to present to you. And even if it is still, still could be creation, right? Um, Batman is very still. You can go through the Batmans and see how some of them are doing that in a deeper way than others, right? Mm, you can yeah. go like, that guy is hitting a home run, that yeah. guy is not, right? That's fair. Um, I think that, that it requires that a little bit, but showing up, like all you need to know technically is be on time, because there's gonna be a ton of people right. waiting on you, and know your lines, because if you don't, you've really not done any homework, and like, it's embarrassing, don't do that. And like, then you got a bunch of people who are like, we all learned our lines. You, Why didn't you, yeah. your, now we're all waiting on you. Might as well have just been late. Learn your lines, right? right? Um, that's the technical aspect. But then, like the creative aspect, is like get into that. You know what I mean? Like go deep, do stuff, find mannerisms that are obscure that you you know observe people. Nobody is exactly the same. There, everybody has mm -hmm. uh, exists in a different way and. And take some of that stuff and use it, throw it into a character, see what happens. You know, that to me is like yeah. where acting becomes magical. That's cool. 
A few final questions for you. And before I ask them, you've got a podcast called American Glutton, which I was on, which was fun. Yes. Which talks a lot about thoughts on food, culture in America. You have a lot of different interesting people on from actors to scientists, researchers, nutrition people talking about this concept. And uh, where can they listen to that? Um, I mean, I have an app for Apple podcasts but yeah. i think it's on all anywhere you can get a podcast you can listen to it it's yeah. called american glutton yeah and, and you're on social as well yes ethan supply on twitter and instagram very cool yeah it's american glutton make sure you check that out if you want to if you want to hear me and ethan sweating yes go listen to our you interview. can hear it dripping <laughs> off of us i will say like this is magically cool this room I am so comfortable in here. <laughs> you walked into the room sweaty when you got in here. Yeah. I saw the sweat, and now you look oh, like this is like this, this what you is how in your it room. should be doing. You got to turn yeah. it on. You see, on crank it up. A um, couple final questions. You worked with some of the biggest stars in the world. Was there ever a time where you were nervous to work with one of these big stars on one of these sets? And what was the biggest lesson you took from one of them? That really stands out. Whether it was Leo or Denzel or whoever, but what was, were you ever nervous being like, wow, I'm about to do a scene with this person? And then what was the big lesson you learned from one of them? So I'll answer those to two different people. Denzel Washington, the first time I worked with him, I was nervous. And then he didn't let anybody off the hook. He's playing the coach, right? And, and he's playing a real no-nonsense guy in Remember the Titans. He is not coming in being friendly to the kids, right? He's like a hard ass. And he came on set and he was that. Wow. And and then I did other movies with him and even towards the end, he's not doing that because that's who he is. He's doing that because that's the character, right? And so he is, I'm gonna come on, I'm gonna maintain this and you are going to behave appropriately without saying any of that. And I was nervous. He never broke character and said, hey, I'm just... Never once. Play along. No. He just acted as if. He walked on set and he was the coach. Wow. And so I was nervous. That, that made... I mean, it was like you pucker a little bit, you stand up straighter, and you're like, this is the dude. I don't want to upset <laughs> this dude. I don't want to get yelled at. Um, so that was the, the time I can recall being nervous. Um, I'll say from, from Leo DiCaprio, who I'm friendly with, and so I got a little bit more insight into how he behaves on a set. For myself, as I said, I've been lazy a number of times. You can very easily see it. I know in the first uh, season of My Name is Earl, by the time we got to the second season, I wasn't learning my lines the night before. I was kind of like showing up on set and learning them quickly. And that, to me, was a sign of, like, oh, you know, a little success and, like, now I'm not going to put as much effort into it. Which I turned around by the later seasons and, and got my act together a little bit. Leo always knows all of his lines. And when they knock for him, no matter what he is doing, when they knock and they say, we're ready, he is up and walking to set. Like... They could be dressing him. They will continue to dress him as they walk no to set. Way. Yes, I swear to God. He is one of the most considerate and hardworking dudes I've ever seen. And it is really impressive because once you get to his level of stardom, 
it's very easy for them to knock and then somebody else, an assistant or whoever, to go like, yeah, we need a few minutes. That's like not a big deal, right? It's happens all the time. Happens all the Give time. Two minutes. And when minutes, you yeah. when you got as much dialogue to learn as him, it's also wouldn't be insane if he showed up and had to sit and learn it a little bit with the other actors. You know what I mean? That's quite frequently the case too. Neither of those are true for wow. him. He is knows his lines cold long before he arrives at set. Um, will spend all night working on them if he has to, or nights leading up to a big day of dialogue, and nobody will ever wait for him. He will never allow them to be ready and him to not be there. So that's like, that's pretty for impressive. For me, witnessing that, the times that I have, I've always been really kind of blown away by that and thought like, yeah, that's how, that's how I would like to comport myself if, if I was ever in his shoes. And I failed at that on a much smaller <clears throat> scale um, and had to like pull myself together on my own and go like, I don't like this. I don't like, mm. I don't like the idea of them telling, them saying like they're ready and me going like, okay, well now I'm gonna get up and go to the bathroom and then I'll come. No, I've had however long in my trailer, that should be done so that when they're ready, I'm walking wow. to work, you know? Wow. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah. Uh, this is a question I ask everyone at the end. It's called the three truths. Okay. So imagine it's your last day on this planet. Yes. Many years from now. Yeah. You accomplish everything you want. Um, but for whatever reason, you've got to take all your content with you to the next place. Okay. Take all this stuff with you. All your movies got to go with you. Yeah. Content, podcast, everything you do. But you get to leave behind three things you know to be true from your life. Three lessons you would share with the rest of us. This is all we would have to kind of remember you by are these oh, three, okay. these three truths, right, uh, or three lessons that you would share to leave behind. What would you say are your three truths? I believe that the greatest position we can take with regard to any other person is interest. Um, that's a lesson I've learned. Uh, I think that th ultimately the stuff that we accumulate that defines us is meaningless. Mm. And I think that um, the World Wrestling Federation has far more legitimacy than politics. Those are my three truths. That's the third one? I like, I like it. We'll have to do another one on, on why yeah. later. Yeah. Um, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Ethan, before I ask the final question, for your, your consistent journey of discovering yourself, of going down the path of you know, doing the hard stuff. It's not easy to lose the weight you lost and keep saying, I've got to stay consistent with this because it can be easy for you to go back off yeah. track and to make yourself almost accountable to the world now by doing a podcast, by talking about it consistently, by being open about it. I think it's really inspiring to, to, to help other people in the world who might be struggling in the same way. So I acknowledge you for constantly opening up and, and staying consistent to your vision, man. Thank you. We need you around and healthy. So yes. I'm, I'm grateful for all that you're doing. Uh, this is the final question. Okay. What's your definition of greatness? I think that greatness is um, overcoming obstacles, whatever they may be. I think that if, and, and even just the pursuit of overcoming the obstacles is, is greatness. So, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't have to be that you won the race or even finished the race, but that you're in it, I mm. think is greatness. 
My man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode, my friend. I'm so grateful you came here and decided to spend some time with me and Ethan today. If you enjoyed this, make sure to share it, lewishouse.com slash 1025, or just copy and paste the link wherever you're listening to this. And please click that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts right now. Leave us a rating and review. If this helped you in any way, then you can help me in return by clicking subscribe and leaving a rating and review as that'll truly help us spread the message of greatness to more people. And if you want inspirational messages sent to your phone every single week from me, behind the scenes content, then text the word podcast right now to 614-350-3960. Again, text the word podcast, 614-350-3960. And I want to leave you with this quote from psychotherapist and author David Ricco, who said, Our wounds are often the openings into the best and most beautiful part of us. Wherever you're feeling that type of pain or discomfort, wherever that is in your life right now, realize there's an opening there. That opening is allowing you to dive in and start really paying attention to where the problem is and figuring out how you can solve that. So you can have a healthier, happier, stronger life. You deserve love. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be healthy. This is what you were born to do. And if no one has reminded you lately, you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. I'm so grateful for you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.